Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Our podcasts are made possible thanks to our sponsor, Store My Tumor. Your preserved tumor contains the most important information about your cancer. Store My Tumor provides live tumor preservation and coordination of advanced diagnostics and personalized immunotherapies. Thank you so much for supporting us. Hello, my friends. I'm so happy to be connecting with you this week on Breast Cancer Conversations. I'm your host, Laura Carfing, and if you're joining us for the first time, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and receive notifications each time we come out with a new episode. To all of you who tune in every week, welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. This week, I'm excited to have Deb Wilson on our show. I know we talk a lot about nutrition and exercise and how we think we're in the best shape ever and we were doing everything right until bam, we somehow find out we have cancer. Deb takes us into a whole new level of this conversation. Deb is an athlete. She has played competitive sports her whole life from adolescence through college. For the last 20 years, Deb has run over 25 marathons, participated willingly in ultra marathons and triathlons. While I personally enjoy running, biking, and swimming as all separate activities, Deb has found great joy in completing full Ironmans. She is a race director for several events, has biked in the Pan Mass Challenge, and so much more. When I met Deb in person for this podcast, my jaw literally dropped when she was telling me her story of how she came to find out she had stage 4 breast cancer. It was picked up from an MRI of her femur after she has been letting her medical teams know that her hip and thigh have been hurting her, and she thinks she may have fractured something, given all of the training she was doing. What ended up as an August day in 2014, walking into a doctor's office to casually pick up results from the MRI and then head to lunch with girlfriends, ended up being a day that she left the doctor's office in a wheelchair and started down the path of multiple surgeries. Before we jump into Deb's story, I thought I would share with you what I've been reading this week. Do you ever underline or highlight or turn over the corners of pages in books that you read? Maybe it's because of the number of years that I've been in school, but I feel like I cannot read without a pen or a highlighter in my hand. I love underlining key takeaways from books, but after all the page turning and underlining, I hardly pick the books back up to read all these great nuggets of information that I found. This week, I picked up an old summer read by Jen Sincero author of You Are a Badass, and I reminded myself of all of the ways that our thoughts impact our perspective. I wanted to read a couple passages from this book and leave us all inspired today. Our beliefs, along with our thoughts and words, are at the root of everything we experience in life, which is why consciously choosing what rolls around in our mind and falls out of our mouth is one of the most important things you can do. This conscious choosing of your thoughts, beliefs, and words is called mastering your mindset. And master it, you must, if you'd like to live a large and in-charge life instead of being bossed around by your circumstances. Later on in the book, she goes on to say, Take responsibility for the fact that you created everything in your life via your thoughts, beliefs, focus, actions, and energy, and that you have the power to shift your mindset, raise your frequency, and create new things that will serve you better. Get out of victim mode and into badass mode and be diligent about your mindset. So with that, I will leave you with those words of inspiration today on what I've been reading. So let's jump into our conversation with Deb. I am so excited to have her on the show. 
and you can literally hear her smile radiate through your earbuds. Welcome to the conversation. I'm Deb Williams. I live out in Western Mass, like you had said. Um, I've been there for 20 years. Uh, grew up in the Midwest, so I took a really wrong turn coming to college out here. Um, I've been an athlete probably since I was about eight years old. Um, competitive in multiple sports through high school and through college. And then I picked up running and triathlons probably 20 years ago, um, obviously prior to my diagnosis. And uh, ultra marathons, relays all over the country, um, got involved with a race company doing logistics, got involved in race directing for triathlons from there, um, and kind of by luck of the draw, I guess, after a couple master's degrees, I landed a job in teaching, um, became a holistic nutritionist, I teach nutrition, teach nursing, I teach some criminal justice students, a lot of the classes I teach in psychology and, and healthcare fall into all those categories, so it diversifies my students a little bit. Um, and then fast forward to February of 2014, it was probably my 25th marathon by that point I was running in Hyannis. And when I finished the race, I had a little bit of a hip flexor pain and I had never been injured through running prior to this date. Um, so I iced it and like any athlete would do and took some ibuprofen and chalked it up to like, this is nothing. A couple weeks go by, the pain was getting significantly worse pretty quickly and I thought it was a stress fracture. So as insurance companies, I've now found out the hard way how they work. You can't just go in and ask for an MRI. You need to go through the protocol. And so I had to get an x-ray first. Of course, stress fractures don't show up on an x-ray, but nothing showed up on that x-ray, not even a fracture on my bone. So, and that was March of 2014. And I went voluntarily on crutches at that point. Saw a physical therapist, did all my PT workouts on it, went on crutches for six weeks came back and had what was called a jump test where you actually stand on the leg that that is hurt and you jump up and down and I could only jump once without being in excruciating pain. Uh, put me back on crutches again, said yes, you have a stress fracture, we're not going to go with an MRI, you need another six weeks on crutches. So I could, at that point, I could swim, I could bike, I could do yoga, I could drive, couldn't run. Guys, I would take one step and I would be in pain and I was on crutches anyway. So I am a coach. I went to Lake Placid Ironman that year in July. I had an MRI before I left for Lake Placid finally and went to Lake Placid, cheered on all my athletes that were there. I was biking and swimming that entire week I was up there, I wasn't running. Come back and had MRI results read on August 4th, which is a Monday at two o'clock in the afternoon. How rare is this that we remember like the date and the time, right? Oh, it's like, yes. and I'm hopping in there with two of my friends thinking I'm, and I wasn't on crutches. I said, I'm just gonna get these results and we're gonna go to lunch. That was my plan for the day. And it was a tumor specialist and he started asking me questions about fatigue and nausea and you know, hair loss and things that were like really unusual for a leg injury that I thought I had, like a stress fracture or whatever was going on. Did you know he was a tumor specialist that you were meeting with that was reading your results? He was told me I was a tumor specialist because I got a call that a tumor showed up on a bone, but they didn't know what it was. I didn't, cancer was not on my radar. That was not what I thought. When I, even when I met with him that day, cancer was not the first thing out of his mouth. I just thought, oh, I've got this problem on my bone and they're gonna tell me what it is. Right. I had broken bones all my life, but just never my leg. So after these questions were over about 15 minutes, he goes, well, he shows me the x-ray, the MRI. And he said, well, you have a nine millimeter tumor and your femur is broken in three places and it's cancer and we don't know what kind. Total blank at that point. I was like, okay, I heard nothing. His mouth was moving. 
but nothing was going in my ears at that point. I looked over at my girlfriends that were there. They frantically took out notebooks and were writing every single word they were scribing because I didn't know what to say. And then he's like, I'm going to give you a couple minutes and I'm going to leave the room and come back. He goes, read the notes from your girlfriends. Because he knew I wasn't listening. I was oh like, God. I had no I'm idea. In shock, just hearing this story mm-hmm. and like to mm-hmm. have your friend who like instinctively knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm trying to even you know place it too. And we hear these words and we don't connect the dots necessarily. No. Or you even hear the word tumor. You don't hear the word cancer. So you hear something. No. And so it's almost like, okay, great. Like do surgery. Sure. Like take it off. Like yeah. shave it. Do something. I'll be fine. Right. Right. Yeah. I was. This was in August. August fourth of two thousand fourteen. I was registered to run the Hartford Marathon October 13th of that year. And when, he, when I finally, like, in a flood of tears in my, once it absorbed that, like, oh, God, I have some kind of cancer, and I didn't know what that meant. I have a lot of friends and family that have had cancer, but nothing to the extent that this was going to totally damage my lifestyle of who I was. Yes. And the girlfriend started reading me, and they come, he comes back in the room, and he said, well, you have one of three types of cancer. One is a blood cancer, which we can easily do a blood test, you'll know this afternoon. One is um, an osteosarcoma, which is a bone cancer, which is not common in adults, pretty rare. It's usually in children. He goes, but if that is what it is, he goes, your lifestyle is gonna com- abruptly change. And I'm like, because all, all he knew about was the MRI on my leg. So right. basically they have to do a whole bone scan now of my whole body. I didn't know that at the time though. He just said, if it goes anywhere else, your, da- your life is wheelchair bound at some point. And I'm like, that's exactly what he said to me. And we- at that point, the wheelchair is coming in the room. And I said, I walked into this appointment. And he goes, you're not walking anymore right now. And he goes, your surgery is scheduled for Thursday. And I'm like, what surgery? And right. he's like, well, I need to stabilize your femur. Otherwise, it's going to break your femoral head. And then you're going to end up in cardiac arrest. That's how fast this happened. And is he just delivering this to you, like point blank? Point like blank. Facts? Monotone, fact and fact and fact. Which I liked about him because he didn't sugarcoat a stupid thing and nothing. Right. He still doesn't. Now he now I call him Matt because now he's now now we're like buddies. Sure. Um, but it was not like that in the beginning. And he had no idea who I who he was dealing with either. You right. know, it was my he was like he figured that out pretty quickly. Um, and he said, I'm admitting you this afternoon. And I'm like, can I go home and get clothes and like take care of my dogs? He's like, I don't recommend that because I don't, really don't want you walking. Because at any point, he said where the fractures were, so the way your hip is designed, there's your hip, you know, your, which I don't have anymore, but the ball, there's a sheet over the ball, and then your femur's connected. The fracture was right there, which is your main artery to your aorta. So if that were to crack, like really crack, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bleed out. I'm going to go right to cardiac arrest. Wow. And I was like, I just can't believe I've gotten this far. And how do I have from February to August, how do I have a nine millimeter tumor? He's like, it's a rapid growing. You have a very aggressive cancer because it didn't show up on an x-ray. Right. So he's like, yeah. And you got yourself off crutches. Like you put yourself ah, on crutches, then yeah. you were able to feel better to mm-hmm. be able to walk and be mm-hmm. off crutches. Right. And then even bicycle. Were you bicycling too? Or yep. was it just swimming? Like, no, swimming and biking. and biking. Up until the day before I biked 52 miles before I saw him. So you think nothing, like you're recovering, oh, like you're feeling great. I'm like, this is awesome. I just can't run yet. This is great. I can do this. Yeah. No idea. No. Okay. So. So he admits he me. You. And the two girls went to my house, packed up bags of clothes for me, arranged all the appointments with my dogs. I mean, I shut my phone off because I'm like, I know my phone's going to start blowing up pretty soon as soon as this word gets out. Mm-hmm. Um, admitted me into a room. And within probably 30 minutes, I had a series of bombarding questions from people coming in. My blood pressure, by the way, which is normally 110 over 70, was 200 over like 140. Yeah. And I'm like, 
yeah, yeah. I, I'm definitely gonna go into cardiac arrest because this of this conversation, yes. not because not because my heart's my heart's beating like 100 miles an hour right, right now. Right. Um, so I calmed down a little bit, but I met with radi uh, radiology. I met with um, all consults in my room before I had anything done. Within the first 24 hours, I had three CAT scans done of my abdominal area I had and my chest cavity. I had a complete body scan. And if people don't know about diagnosis and how these work, a bone scan, you have to have a radioactive dye, which means you can't have, I can't have a radioactive dye and a barium from a CAT scan within so many hours from each other. And you can't have food with one, you can have food with the other. Mm -hmm. One, you know, a CAT scan, you can't eat for four hours. So I'm restricted, my CAT scan was like at two o'clock in the morning. My bone scan was the next day and you have to drink a bunch of water, you're injected with this dye and then you're told not to be around small children because you're radioactive for, you know, 36 yeah. hours. I I'm got like, one of those little cards that said you're radioactive. Yes. They're like, are you traveling anytime soon? I'm like, well, I don't know. I might have cancer, I'm not sure. Right. But in case I was going through a metal detector in the airport, yes. I had this little card, card. And I'm like, this is the weirdest thing. I, I'm radioactive. When he told me that, I went. I know I went to when I went for my bone scan. That was the funniest thing. The guy's like, "I'm gonna light you up like a Christmas tree." I'm like, "Does it come with presents when I'm done?" I mean, like, right. what's my attitude gonna be? You tell me I have cancer. You don't know what kind it is yet. Um, so they ruled out the blood cancer pretty quickly because the blood work was pretty simple. Um, the bone scans when they came back, there was a giant mass. Like 90% of the tumors were in my femur, which is great. There's one on my spine, one on my shoulder, which have been. To this date, I have CAT scans every three months and bone scans every six months, probably for the rest of my life, but they are coming up as what's called metabolic reversal. And I had never heard that term before, which means they're not flashing. So from inside or from an x-ray coming in, looking like just take scans of your bones and from the CAT scans, which are internal and the radio, radioactive dye from CAT scans, which are supposed to flash the bone color, nothing's coming back which just means it's at bay. And so there's a lot of reasons that can happen. It could change at the blink of an eye, as we know. Um, hopefully it doesn't, but yeah, that's, you know. So what was going through your mind at that time when, like, there's a tumor, it's cancerous, mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. don't know what mm -hmm. kind. And, you know, I frame this also because I was an athlete too, and mm -hmm. I'll share a little bit more about my story. Yeah. But, you know, we were healthy people. Like, I know right. you said you broke some right. bones and stuff, but... I, you know, we're healthy, we're active, right. we're working out, right. we're feeling great. Right. So then for all of a sudden someone to say, okay, there's, like, we don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like that's when I realized medicine isn't a perfect science. No. Because I was like, oh, you get a flu shot or you get this or you get antibiotics. It was always like a cure almost. Right. And I don't know if it was right. like my own naivety of just understanding what cancer was until it actually impacts you. Right. I was like, right. what do you mean you don't know? Like, you're supposed to know everything. Like, that's why they pay you the right. big bucks. Like, right, exactly. I know. I said, you don't know. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what that was like so for you. So I think because when I had gone in and got admitted on that Monday and I had shut my phone off, the two girlfriends, unbeknownst to me at the time, they opened up a Facebook page that afternoon and I was not part of it. And what they were doing is they were journaling everything I was going through for the public to wow. see. So good and bad, because I didn't get to tell my story, they told my story. Good because I didn't, it was a blank to me. So many things happened from Monday afternoon till seven o'clock on Thursday morning with my surgery, because I had to put a, they stabilized my femur with a metal rod, okay. which is what you would do if you broke your femur. They would stick this metal rod in. They, it's a, you know, it's a, a titanium rod. It usually stays in your body for about a year, and then they take it out when the bone heals. I'm in a different category because cancer can get aggressive and we can't just have our metal taken out. 
otherwise the bone will fall apart. So because I had so much going on, because I was in plain clothes, I also wasn't in like a Johnny, mm-hmm. um, I had all, because I'm a nutritionist too, I had all my food brought in, I wouldn't eat any of the hospital food. I had sushi delivered, I had I had 26 visitors on Tuesday, That's and I'm in the hip ward, mind you, okay? okay? I'm in my 40s, and I'm in a hip ward with everyone in their 70s yep. who goes to bed, you know, 7.30 when Jeopardy's over, and I'm all ready to like start partying, and I'm like, and they have Jello for me. I'm like, I don't want Jello. I want like something substantial. I want like a turkey burger, like I want something right. substantial, you know? Um, so we got a little crazy. I did organize a 5K, a uh, wheelchair 5K, while I was in the hospital for three days, because I need something to do to keep okay. occupied. Yes. Um, I had a mattress put on the floor, because every night I had someone stay with me in the room. Oh, that's so great. We videotaped everyone coming in, like doing like the, um, did you ever have to do the, the, I call it the suck and blow machine? Oh. <laughs> yes! And I was doing it the wrong way. I'm like, I'm not breathing. <laughs> they were like, opposite, do the opposite of what you're doing. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, because it's one of those tubes with like the balls that you yes, have to if, try and get up. Yeah, and I kept level. laughing and I'm like, oh, this is not working. It's not working. Um. <laughs> and then one morning I remember waking up, like every four hours they're checking my vitals and blood pressures and pulse. And I remember waking up one morning. They don't morning. Let you sleep. They like come in no. and constantly like probing and asking questions and like constantly. Yeah. And then we had Big Ben who was really loud and I'm thinking, I'm not deaf. I have cancer, but I'm not deaf. But again, I'm on the geriatric hip ward, so yes. he probably has to talk loud to patients. One point my anesthesiologist came in to prep and tell me I've never been under anesthesia. Yeah. I, I was in the hospital when I was born, and I clearly don't remember that. Every broken bone I've had, you get fixed up and you go home. Um, So he goes, well, and there were probably six or eight people in the room at that point. Everyone's sitting on my bed. And he goes, who's the patient? Everybody raised their hand. And I was like, they're all taking one for the team. And so he said, and per se next to me was a friend of mine on my triathlon team who is a OBGYN surgeon. And this guy was her her anesthesiologist. Oh, wow. And he's kind of looking at her, and of course, HIPAA regulations, you know, he can't say anything. He's like, why is she in here? Mm -hmm. Because she's my friend. And um, tells me that there's a very high possibility, because I've never been under anesthesia, that I'm going to wake up nauseous and vomiting. And I said, why? What are the reasons? He said, well, you're female, you're a non-smoker, and you're over 40. I said, okay, I can't change my age, but I'm in a hospital, so I get a sex change really quick, mm-hmm. and these people are willing to buy me cigarettes. Right. So if I'm going to start smoking and change my sex identity, that's going to cut my ass by 66%, because I really don't like throwing up. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll go through surgery, but if I wake up throwing up, I'm going to cry for yeah. hours, and I'm not good with that. So then he starts laughing, and he's like, oh, I think she's kind of serious. Um, <laughs> No, I'm not, but then I met the valet guys because, of course, the coffee in the hospital or the tea or whatever was just gross. So I became really friendly with the valet guys every day. I'd wheel myself out to the valet, tried to wheel myself the first day on Monday when I was there and go across across the street. There's a Dunkin' Donuts and I'm in my wheelchair and I'm wheeling myself across and I get yelled at by the valet guys. Get back here. And I'm so what did I do? And I said, what is it? Not handicap accessible. Like I can't get into the Dunkin' Donuts. He's like, if you leave, technically you're discharging yourself from the hospital. He goes, if you get hit by a car, you're liable. I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that. So I started paying them. So every time I wanted coffee, morning, night, they were my buddies. They were my friends at the hospital. Yeah, you need to figure out who your allies are and yeah, Yeah. make the rounds quickly for sure. That was fun, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So you're admitted Mm -hmm. and when did mm-hmm. they, how did they figure out what type of cancer you had? What was that process like? So I'm sure you're going yeah. under a lot of tests yes. and trying to figure it out. Yes. I didn't know until Wednesday afternoon, the day before surgery, okay. I had to have a bone um, biopsy done. Oh. Yeah. And 
it's a lot worse than it sounds because you are now the bone that they were get, trying to get to is in my femur. So I'm laying down on a, a gurney bed on my stomach. I was under local anesthesia. They wanted me awake because they need to check your blood pressure and pulse the whole time. So you're awake and groggy. You can't speak, you can hear, but you nothing's coming out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. They give you lidocaine on my, they went through my, my glute. They went right through my glute with okay. a drill. And they, um, mind you, this time too, I'd also had Lavinex shots on my stomach, so my stomach was bruised that I'm laying on because I'd have Lavinex shots pre-surgery okay. to stop blood clots. Then I'm laying on my stomach, and they said, we have to take one sample. They're going to take a, a part of my bone out of where the, um, the tumor is, take that on a scan, on a slide scale, and figure out where it's coming. Because they can tell the tissue sample right. from your bone. Mm -hmm. So w they started drilling, and you could numb the skin. You can't numb a bone. So imagine someone like pounding like a chisel through your femur the whole time. And all I kept hearing, because my eyes were open, all I kept hearing was her blood pressure spiking, take the drill out. So this one attempt was seven by the time they were done. So wow. I was in there for 40 minutes on that. So even though you're under local anesthesia, and groggy and out of it, you can mm -hmm. still feel... Because your leg is shaking. It's literally a drill going yeah. in, and it's a screw drill, and then they're pulling out this piece of bone, but they sure. took out seven samples. The tumor was so big. Right. Mm -hmm. So they had plenty of room for it, but they were going in from my glute. So, yeah, that was not fun. Well, I know, when <laughs> I got fun. my biopsy, so mm -hmm. I had um, a biopsy on my breast tissue and then mm -hmm. also on one of my lymph nodes, mm -hmm. and to this day, I swear, that was the most painful I have ever oh, had. Oh, I had that too. Like, yep. Yep. Yes, they can do the lidocaine and the local anesthesia on like sure. the skin, but once they get into the tissue and they cut, like Forget you feel it. that. Absolutely. And I remember, like, I just started like the tears yeah. were just like screaming down my face. And yeah. Like, I wasn't yeah. like sobbing, but like I was in pain. And yeah. the poor radiologist was like, "I think she needs an ice pack. I should think she should lay down right. for a little while." And I'm like, right. "Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is really painful." Yeah. And you know, it's. You know, it kind of shocks me a little bit that we yeah. can be in this day and age with technology and then we still can't figure out how no. to well, I had to have dissipate pain. Exactly. Yeah. And now the funny part is I had a mammogram the June of 2013. So just on over a year later, right. my mammogram was clean. Okay. There, I'm asymptomatic. There's no, there's no, there is no tumor in my breast. So what that, what that came back on the scan from the bone scan of my, my leg is that it was um, breast tissue in the bone. So they oh. knew it was breast cancer that went to the bone. It was metastatic breast cancer stage four I was diagnosed with that day. But I'm asymptomatic in my breast because when they found that out, they sent me in for a mammogram. My mammogram came back clean. The only thing they saw was one tiny flash or whatever on my the back of my breast what they thought was breast tissue turned out to be on my sternum oh. which is where the one dot is so they went in to do the breast biopsy yeah from the front oh my yeah God. and they said bring a bra someone get her a bra that's like three times the size she needs and we'll give her ice packs and I was like what are they talking about I'm clearly I'm like an a on a good day sure. right so to tell me to bring in a bra that's like a size C I didn't know what to expect mm -hmm. And so my stomach is bruised from the Lavinex shots. My ass is now bruised from the drill going in me. And now you're telling me you're going to go into my boob. So that was not fun. Oh. I'm crying. I could hear, I could see yes. or feel like the blood dripping down because it bled quite a bit too. And I just, that was worse, I think, than anything else that I went through yeah. was the breast biopsy. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it confirmed that it was breast tissue. That's, okay. all, that's all that came up with that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and then they put this metal rod on my leg on Thursday, PT on Friday, and they sent me home. 
And it was, I mean, that quick. I went through and went out on crutches, and it was August. I hadn't started teaching yet. I'm a college professor. I didn't go back until three weeks after that. They set up 15 days straight of massive radiation to my left leg, um, and then rounds of chemo. And in that 15 days, I, well, I couldn't drive. Couldn't drive for a month. Doctor told me after surgery, um, he's very overprotective, my mat, my mat, my orthopedic, um, told me I couldn't swim. I'm like, you can't take swimming away from me because I can't bike with my leg right now. I can't really do anything and I can't drive. I'm like, I live in a lake community. I'm like, and I'm a swimmer, that's what I do. So I got three M bandages and put them on my leg and then put a wetsuit on and I swam in the lake. He wasn't happy, but I went anyway. Because yeah. I needed something to do. And um, then I met with my oncology team. And when I met my oncologist, she's a rock star, Dr. E. She is one of the leaders in breast cancer in Massachusetts. And she high-fived me right away and said, I know exactly what you have. You know, you're her positive, And we know exactly the cocktail we're going to give you. And she's like, we got this. Don't worry, we got this. And she was very blunt. Um, but we didn't go into details until my next meeting with her um, before my chemo started. And the, the first rounds of chemo were... Um, pretty daunting. I think I was still numb at that point too. Uh, fortunately, I was journaling quite a bit in that month. Like every time I went to an appointment, I went to radiation, I wrote things down that I, cause I don't remember that, that stuff. That is so important to yeah. do. I, uh, yeah. I actually started so, doing, that's when I started my YouTube channel for surviving breast cancer is yeah. everyone asked, are you going to start a blog? Are you going to start writing? Are you yeah. going to start journaling? Yeah. And I knew that with all of the medicine that I was going to be going through, like mm -hmm. I don't have the patience to write actually, but I do right. want to record it. So I literally right. just took out my phone and I know my early or like
And I'm not a makeup person either, but I start losing my eyebrows, my eyelashes, yes. and I'm like, oh, I gotta the start. eyelashes are what got me. I was oh. like, there is dust. Like, I, it was yeah. terrible. I'm like, people, like, I don't care about the hair on my head anymore. Like, right. there are other, right. like, purposes to have hair. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah. I saved a lot, though, on, on products for a year. Completely. Shampoo, conditioner, <laughs> shaving cream. I'm like, this is kind of awesome. But yeah. I'm using a lot in tissues, because I kept, I had a runny nose for a year. Yeah. I mean, it just didn't go away. Um, and fatigue, a lot of fatigue. And that was really hard for me to force myself to go to bed at like seven o'clock at night mm -hmm. so I can get up at six in the morning and like function and go to the gym and work out and teach. You so know, you teaching. Still doing all of this while going through active treatment? Oh yeah, okay. I've, I haven't taken a day off from work and it's been, it'll be five years. What? Yeah, I didn't oh take any time off. Mm -mm. Nope, I didn't tell my students either right away. So because I knew I was gonna lose my hair and I, I had a wig made prior I had my hair cut short because it was long hair at the time and I had a wig made to look like my hair cut the day after my first infusion was like seven hours because it's like a slow infusion triple cocktail three different drugs um, at that day I had like nine visitors on my chemo infusion because they kept bringing me food because I wouldn't eat the hospital food yes. um, I left went and had my hair cut had a, like a you know my spa day kind of done the very next day I did a triathlon I was a swimmer in a try the next day I couldn't bike that day and then the day after that, I was setting up for a triathlon down at the Cape. Oh my gosh. And someone asked me, like, when are you starting chemo? I'm like, oh, it's two days ago. And yes. they were like, what? I'm like, what am I going to do? My life has to, I'm not going to sit on the couch and manifest symptoms. Right. So right. I need to keep stay moving. Stay busy, stay, mm -hmm. like, keep going. And I don't know the specifics of the type of chemotherapies that you yep. were on. I remember mm -hmm. when I was going through, it was like the, I had like five different chemotherapies. Mm -hmm. And the first ones, I think it was like the ACT treatment. So it's like adriamycin, yeah. yep. cytoxin, and taxol. Yeah. And they yeah. would give me um, steroids to help mitigate some of the nausea symptoms. Yeah. And literally the day after chemo, mm -hmm. I was like, we are ready to like clean the house and go grocery shopping <laughs> and like right, get my right. workout. And I remember doing right. like a 5K just to be like, I had the energy. I felt right. good today. I'd be able to run. Right. And then like four days later, I was like death on a couch. Yeah. <laughs> I like one or two days after it was like amazing you couldn't tell that yeah. anything happened and yeah. so those are always good days <laughs> yeah exactly mine was pretty steady like I didn't get the nausea stuff but I got but I also took like I was gluten free at the time but I took made sure I didn't have gluten then I stopped alcohol I and mean, I stopped a lot of things at that sure. point to avoid the nausea um, and, to keep, and then I started flushing and detoxing doing a liver detox 24 hours after all my infusions to get rid of the oh. chemo which I think made a big change so I, the fatigue I couldn't stop um, the brittle nails I actually found I've never been a nail person until this I found an oncology manicurist Oh. Did not know they even existed, right? You'll have to share that with us. Uh-huh. Yes. I love this lady. And so I can't use the wooden tools. I have my own kit. I had to buy the kit for her right. and buy the powder and stuff. But she dips my nails and does them because when I don't have these on, I have neuropathy. I can't yes. feel my fingers and they burn. With these on, I can button, I can zip, I can do whatever. And they, I mean, they're short. They're not like super, but yeah. she goes crazy on me and does all these funky colors. Yeah. And, super yeah. fun. I know. Yeah. I remember my nails, even my toenails now, even two years mm -hmm. out, are like gross and just, I don't yeah. know. It's yeah. I can say it's like, oh, it's because I'm a runner, but really it's because mm, of the like, chemotherapy. Can't, can't <laughs> exactly. I know. We try to like justify like, yeah, exactly. sure. Here's the yeah. follow wound, but right. here's the real story. Right. Um, but yeah. yeah, I know mm -hmm. I suffer now actually from lymphedema, so I had a full mm -hmm. node auxiliary dissection. Oh, wow. And okay. because of the, the the tumor that they found in my lymph nodes was positive. And so okay. I had three um, lymph nodes that were positive. Okay. So to be safe, they decided to take it all out. So I'm like, okay, okay great. But now sure. that, that yeah. coupled with 
radiation elevated my chances of getting lymphedema. Yeah. So I have a very mild mm-hmm. case of it. Like mm-hmm. I think it's like mm-hmm. stage one if there's even like a staging. Yeah. But it's just I personally know it. Like my one hand yeah. is always a little bit fatter, a little bit prettier. Yeah. Yeah. I no longer wear like, you know, the the watch or jewelry on that side. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's like flares, it goes up and down. But one of the things that I heard was not to get manicures because of like any sort of irritation to your Correct. cuticles or anything like that. The infections. So exactly. Yes. And yep. So I haven't got had my nails done yes. in forever, and yeah. it, it is what it is. It's fine. But then right. this summer, I just got like eaten alive by mosquitoes. Mm. I'm like, not my left arm. Like, oh no! <laughs> me well, here's so. a pos- the, the new chemo that I'm on. I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. I'm like, I'm an insect. Like the chemo that I'm on repels mosquitoes. So if you really want to be on my chemo, you won't get bit by the mosquitoes. Everyone else is a magnet for them around me, but I'm like, I'm not getting bit. (laughs) I know. It's like the little, like, silver lining. Yeah. Right. And that's what I felt, too, even being on the chemotherapy. I never got, like, the flu during the winter season. Like, Mm -mm. I never got sick. Like, the nausea is one thing as a side effect, but Mm -hmm. I never attracted any other, like, sickness or flu or anything. So I'm just like, this chemo actually is, like, killing everything. Everything. Yes. I agree. I totally agree. Oh, even the mosquitoes, so I'm glad to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm kind of, kind of like thrilled about this. So, yeah. yeah. So after, let's see. After I had the rod put in in August, and then started going through and lost my hair. That was 11 months after that. A lot of physical therapy. Got my my leg, you know, back to where it needed to be for biking. Was out doing half Ironman distance. I still couldn't run. Running was just off the table. Okay. So swimming, biking up to half Ironman, and and doing some crazy stuff that like May June sometime in July, it was after July 4th of 2015, I got out of bed one morning and I was in sharp pain in my left leg. And I thought, oh God, here, this is like, how did this happen in 24? I was fine the day before, what happened? I was holding onto furniture, I put to move around my room, I'm like, something is seriously wrong. So I went to, um, back and got my crutches. I was going in for chemo that day for an infusion. I'm like, I'm gonna bring my crutches, they're gonna wonder what's wrong with me. I didn't fall, I didn't do anything. They're like, let's just take an x-ray and see what's going on. The rod, the titanium rod, cracked in my leg. That's what I said. So up to this point, they told me with my background, with no family history of breast cancer, no family history of any kind of bone disease, um, and my active lifestyle, my healthy eating, I organic foods, like I was the poster child for health. They told me, and I had a muta- uh, mutated gene as well. Okay. So, um, and they said I was just bound to get this at some point. I'm like, great, that's just awesome. Um, they said I was a 1%, 3% of the people that have my diagnosis is a category I'm in. So when my rod broke, I'm like, well, I'm in the 3%, so I might as well stay in the 3% sure. of everything in my life at this point. So I'm like, oh. what do I do? You can't fix titanium while it's in your leg. What are my options? So two things they thought, either they, well, three things. One, they said, what did you do? Because they knew how active I was. I said, I promise you I was not jumping. I was not in a car. Like, I would right. know if I broke a metal rod. Oh, my God, totally. Right? That's what I thought. I'm like, no, I promise you I didn't do anything crazy. Um, Two, the chemo was the cancer was getting aggressive, and the cancer broke the rod, which was my biggest fear at that point, mm-hmm. um, because the tumor didn't shrunk a little bit with the radiation, but really the bone was still cockamamie on X-rays, so there's you know it wasn't going to heal properly around mm-hmm. this rod, um, or it was defective titanium. Those are my three choices. 
And I was like, okay. Then of course I'm researching, like how often is defect, apparently defective titanium is pretty common, okay. but most normal people that go and have it, you don't know for two or three years, well, most people don't have it in their body that long. Right. They have it in to stabilize and then they remove the hardware. Exactly. I knew my hardware wasn't coming out, but I went to orthopedic and I said, I'm on crutches, I don't know what to do. We hemmed and hawed for about two months. I was back on crutches again that whole summer. And they, because it's July you till. Pain medicine, or like what was your? They can't use no pain medicine for bone. Oh, There's nothing to do. Okay. So they said, what we're gonna do is take full weight bearing off. You can swim, you can drive, but you, but you need to be on crutches and a walker at home. Of course, I don't have anything. Insurance pays for nothing but one pair of crutches a year. Mm -hmm. I was very lucky that I had a friend who was a. Um, he still owns it. He owns a. a medical supply company and he said I'm just gonna bring you some stuff and call it lost inventory stairs in my house I have dogs right. like I don't know how I can revamp my house this quickly to get around so he was a he was a blessing then um, we we said every couple of weeks on every two weeks we're gonna go in what they th were hoping was gonna happen is that if I took all weight bearing off the bone would just kind of adhere over the broken part and I'd go back to where I was and not have to remove it. I'm like, okay, that's give least, it a try. Like give it a try, yeah. like it can't hurt, it's summer, it sucks and I'm back on crutches, but I'd rather not go back into surgery if I don't have to. By the beginning of October, the pain was just too bad. So he scheduled me for surgery that October 23rd of 2015. And he said, this is radical. He said, I'm gonna have you go to Dana-Farber, have you meet with some people there for a second opinion, automatically just gave me, it was a guy that he went to college with. Yeah. And, he's, and I went for the appointment and the guy said, I don't know why you're here, your doctor is the best surgeons, only two surgeons that would even touch me with what was wrong in the state of Massachusetts because really? where it was cracked so it was cracked on like the top of the rod and the, where the screw goes in it was cracked right at that piece which is right below the femoral head oh. so it's a complicated surgery to begin with and because they thought it was defective titanium I had to have a lawyer in the room during surgery so in case I wasn't in cahoots with the doctor which apparently that happens too like I have time to sue people um, that if the doctor went in and well, broke the rod while Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, under anesthesia, they're like, well, some doctors break these things and take it out, and then people get sued the hospital and make money. I'm like, uh, I don't have time for that. Just, I just want to walk again, like yeah. normally, without pain. So I didn't know when I went into surgery, like I signed my life away for you know, whatever they were going to do. I asked him to amputate my leg, too. And he said, why do you want to amputate your leg? Because I'll get a running blade and I can run again. And he's like, you're the only patient that would ask me to remove a leg. I'm like, well, if it gets to that point, you have my permission. Take the damn sure. leg off right at that point. So he said, I don't want to do that. So I didn't know when I went into surgery that morning, it was supposed to be three hours as their guest, and there were six different pieces of hardware. They had a whole table. He took pictures, and he sent wow. me pictures. Pictures of all the hardware, because they had to basically figure out the size of my bone because they were taking out the whole femur. So I had a partial hip replacement, and they took out the top third of my femur. It's completely gone. It's all solid titanium now. When they opened me up and cut where these stitches were from the old scar, my the rod fell out of my leg and the bone fell apart so he doesn't even know how it stayed in as long as it did when that happened and unbeknownst to me again i started bleeding out and they couldn't stop the bleeding so i had a cardiac team come in and had infusions done i didn't know that for two weeks after they didn't tell me because they didn't want me to go into shock, cardiac arrest and yeah. shock after surgery so i'm like what do you mean i had what i'm reading the report going Okay, I teach medical terminology and I teach pharmacology. I know what these words mean, but and my name's on this. But like, you need to explain this to me. He's like, we didn't want to tell you right away. Um, so the second surgery was obviously much worse. It was seven hours that I was under for that one. Um, 
I was in the hospital for three days with that one on full bed rest. I was on drain tubes, which I had never had before. Bed pants, I had a pee in a bed pan, that was fun. Um, I refused all of the laxatives and the shots, and he's like, well, you can't leave the hospital until you can poop on your own. I'm like, trust me, I can poop fine. My, I eat a lot of plant-based foods. Yes. I've got no problem with my fiber <laughs> in my diet. I will poop on that toilet if it, that's what I have to do to get out of here. Yeah. I'll take all of my Senna caps at the, at the end of the week, then yes. I'll really poop. And he's like, no, no, we don't work that way. I'm like, I, I refused them all. Um, I woke up one morning and the chart on the board had um, like the name of your doctor, the name of your housekeeper, and it was Santa. And I thought it was hallucinating. I'm like, I'm on a lot of drugs, but you're telling me Santa's here? And she comes, she was my housekeeper. Her name was Santa. Oh. I was like, I love her. She brought me a newspaper. Yes. She yeah. was so sweet, so sweet, yeah. Yeah, she was wow. fun. Yeah, and speaking of like the laxative too, like I know like who wants to talk about poop, but I do have I know. to say, <laughs> like I think that's like really interesting. So yeah. that was something I was horrified about. What a lot of people don't know is that when mm -hmm. you're going under anesthesia and all mm -hmm. of these drugs, mm -hmm. everything in your body shuts down. Yes. And like you don't like have a, like your bladder gets filled up and like everything yes. just kind of stops. And so yes. it really takes a long time for your body then to kind of what I say like reawake. Right. And then start right. functioning normally. Right. So. Um, I mean, I commend you for not taking any of these laxatives ahead of time, but I was petrified. So the recommendation yes. that I got was to start taking the laxatives before before the surgery. Oh my! To help like soften the stools and get things okay. flowing and all of that. Okay. And then that way, anytime after my surgery, anytime I was taking um, like pain medicine, it was yeah. like you know one strong like, pain medicine yep. with. Mm -hmm like the, the laxative yeah. pill. Yeah. So it was just kind of like my routine and it worked. So at least luckily oh, like, I was comfortable, uh -huh. but I was like, you're telling me I'm going through surgery and like really the bathroom stuff is going to be like the heartbreak. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to eat more kale. And they're like, what? I'm like, yes. I'm just going to eat more kale because that's going to make me go. I don't, exactly. I didn't, and beans, like I don't know what else to do, but I'm going to eat pinto beans and kale. Perfect. Um, and that's what I had. So I had one Senna cap on my second surgery in the hospital because they made me take it that day sure. and that was it and I'm like I'm not I don't want this oh. so I took some time off of work after my surgery and mm -hmm. every day I was like my mom was so funny so like literally yes. I think it was like the day after surgery or the day yeah. they sent me home mm -hmm. I'm like okay well I'm gonna go for a walk like I need to get my steps in like I'm gonna move <laughs> And my mom right. was like, you have dreams, you need to rest, you should like, you know, right. go take a right. nap. And I'm like, my no. legs are fine, it's the breasts that aren't. Like, oh. <laughs> like it was just, we had a good laugh about that because, you know, yeah. you think that there's this like one part of you that's right. like, you know, going through the cancer components. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, the rest of me works. Works, like, right. I can do this. Like, I can swim or start biking or yeah. do something. So. You just, you prompted a funny memory that she said yeah. that. So my first surgery is just three days after I meet this orthopedic, right, who just didn't know what he was up against when he met me as a patient. And he comes in for pre-op like the day the night before and you know now I'm finally in a gurney now I'm finally like in the you sure. know robe and stuff and my plain clothes are like in a drawer and so I'm by myself at night and it's like eight o'clock at night and he comes well he came in the room because and he, I wasn't there I was out with my valet guys having my iced coffee and I didn't realize that the valet door locks at eight o'clock it's summertime right it was sunny out yeah the valet guys go home I couldn't get in no. The hospital grounds are under construction. So I'm with my wheelchair, like trying to four wheel. I had to get into the ER. I had to go through the ER. And he's calling me on my phone, going, You're not in your room. I'm like, I'm locked out of the hospital. I can't get back in. And he's like, Oh, God, I'm, what am I up against with this girl, right? So I finally get in. I couldn't find the room because I was at the other wing of the hospital. Yeah. So I found someone brought me there. So I get to my room and he's waiting for me. And then, well, he, I got to the room and he had gone to check another patient. He comes in and that triangle thing, you know, that's above like mm, hanging, yeah. which I didn't need for anything. I figured after surgery, they were going to put my leg up there. I didn't know. I was doing pull-ups on it oh, when yeah. he came in the room and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, 
you're doing surgery on my leg. My arms are fine. My abs just need to work yeah, out. And he's exactly. like, oh, God. He's like, I need to remove that ring from that bed. Because <laughs> he's like, I have this vision of you, like, after oh surgery. Gosh. I'm like, well, you know, yeah. got to have fun oh, with it. So. Absolutely. Make, make the most of it. I was yeah. speaking with another woman, too, and you prompted this memory because you've been in the hospital for a couple of days. And right. I think this is really key also for our listeners, too. Take, I love, like, mm-hmm. talking to everybody because I, like, gather all these, like, good, like, nuggets of information and yes. strategies. Yes. So there's a woman, I think her name, I believe, I'm associated with the right person, Dr. Mm-hmm. Carol Weaver. She's actually out okay. of New York. She wrote a book about the art of healing. And mm-hmm. um, we, I'm in the process of editing her podcast right now, and I can't okay. wait to publish it because uh-huh. she is, like this amazing weight of information and yeah. she has her doctorate in literature so she's just okay. so well-rounded in terms of yeah, like writing. literature and then art and she was telling me about the study where people who looked at beautiful paintings and now mm-hmm. beautiful is you know mm-hmm. an open term so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know i think we're taught to yeah. know what is beautiful but right. we all have our right. own like preferences right um versus abstract paintings so thinking like okay. the picassos or things where you're looking at an object from three different perspectives right. as a painting. And the study proved that people in hospitals mm-hmm. who had these more beautiful paintings actually mm-hmm. got out of the hospital mm-hmm. sooner mm-hmm. and had mm-hmm. less infections associated with their you know, illness or surgeries mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. the more abstract. And I'm like, that makes so much, right. stack, uh, so right. much sense because right. you know, you're already going through all this turmoil. You don't know if you have a diagnosis. You're waiting right. on results. And right. to be around visually with yep. something that doesn't settle right only promenades that. Right. So, you know, right. I think that was a really great piece of advice. So I'm thinking like, okay, like look at old postcards or get pictures of your friends and family, like bring yes. things that are positive to yes. you and um, to your room, like after surgery, just so you have that there. That there exactly. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because not that this is the same idea, but during my, we have we have like regular gynecologists, women, and then we have oncology gynecologists, right? Because okay. if you, I don't know if you've been to one of those before, but because breast cancer, the breast cancer I have anyway, potentially could become ovarian cancer. That's the next okay. thing that we, we look at. I have so many CAT scans that they, they see my ovaries all the time, so I don't have to go to that doctor all the time. But when I did go to her, her office, her room, like, you know, it's all yeah. fun sitting in those stirrups with a gynecologist, right? right her panels on her ceiling are artwork instead of like the foam so so you're uncomfortable sitting in this room with these stirrups and cold duck clamps or whatever and you're sitting there but you're looking at this beautiful piece of artwork so you're so relaxed and i think it's just you know a a testament to hospitals that are willing to do that Mm -hmm. um for patients to make us because the rooms are so white and sterile um on a regular i mean i was looking at the ceiling oh. roof of a hospital with a vent, you know, yeah. all times during surgery. Right. you're just saying, like, okay, I'm here, this is my reality. Like, right. Yeah, it's, like, too much time on mind. Yeah. Like, yeah, just yeah. not good, so. Oh, so how are you doing yeah. now? So we kind of went through, like, the whole yeah. journey. You've been through yeah. so much, but yeah. I love, yeah. like, I, yeah. I hope our listeners can, like, hear your smile. Yeah, I know. Recording yeah. Because this is such, like, an inspiration. I love meeting yeah. women who are just, you know, yeah. not just, like, it like with their diagnosis mm-hmm. but also like living their lives and you know just doing amazing things so I, I am, that. yeah, I'm feeling fabulous. My doctors kind of nicknamed me about a year into my diagnosis after my second surgery, bionic badass. Oh, yeah. Um, because they were like, we don't know anybody who has, a, you know, my orthopedic was like, you're going to be on, you know, adaptive equipment the rest of your life. I'm like, hell no. This is how this is going to go down. Yes. <laughs> so here I am now. Now he just kind of like drops the mic every time I go into his yeah. office, like, what do you got going on now? So um, I do a lot of things. I, I college professor, I'm doing, you know, road races and triathlons and I'm race directing. Um, competing in the Pan Mass Challenge. I'm just, I'm always staying busy doing something. So, That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Living your yeah. life. And Living this book life. that you're writing. 
Yes. So everyone kind of pushed me about a year ago saying, you know, you have all these journals and you have all these books or, you, or these things that you write about all the time. And why don't you take your Facebook page and go back to your original? Because when I when that woman opened up that page, there must have been 120 posts on there wow. in that first week. I didn't know about it till after I came home from surgery. So then it was like days, like going through all of this, you know, motivation, you yes. know, people that friends had for me, um, you know, inspirational quotes and things from my triathlon world to my running world to my teaching world to, you know, everything. So I decided last year I'm just going to journal on my summer vacation last summer. My, you know, I don't teach in the summer. I'm just going to go back and look at all of those and process and put them down. So I cranked out three chapters not planning to in probably two weeks um, and I'm like okay this is kind of fun so I, I then that was all my just my diagnosis everything that we explain now and then I kind of went backwards and did a flashback mm. of like where was I as a kid and what because I had a lot of people ask me believe it or not what caused your cancer how did you get it of course hmm how did I get it I went to the grocery store and said I want cancer today right I mean who does that right so just it's like a safety mechanism. People get so uh, scared. They're like, okay, you have it. I don't. So how did you get it? So right. I don't. Is it hereditary? Exactly. Is it family? Like, exactly. So, like, you know, mm -hmm. we talk about like empathy and like questions of like how people should engage with us. And yes. you're like, well, okay. Are I you can't, really asking? Or? I can't pass it to you. Right. That was the other thing too. Can you give us hugs? I'm like, I'm not going to fall apart. Yes. <laughs> and you're not going to catch my cold because you're not going to catch my cancer. Yes. You know, it's just oh, a lot yeah. of people are naive. So, um, and then, you know, my, my teaching kind of transpired into Live Strong, into Live Strong program at the Y, just for a support network, um, right. you know, just, and that became, I'm now the nutritionist for Live Strong because these things we talk about for yes. um, Western medicine versus Eastern medicine, like, you know, we had a vending machine in our oncology floor that had like Twinkies in it. I'm right. like, we can't right. have white sugar. Why is that here? You know, why? So that's out now. I mean, that, it took me a while, but I got that out. Um, but things that people just don't realize um, mm -hmm. of how to treat people. So I'm a strong advocate. I'm an open book to people. Yeah. And it just made sense to write this kind of stuff down. So I took a took a break during teaching, and then I did a lot over the winter. So I'm now in Chapter 8. Not that that really means anything. Like 120 pages in or something sure. like that. Talked to a publisher last night wow. um, just to get an idea of, like, when do I start talking to a publisher? Because everything I've written, it's only the first 11 months of my journey. Right. So do I stop and kind of at some point and make a book too? Do I go? Like, what right. do I need? So um, that's my summer project now oh, is working awesome. on that for the rest well, of August. Yeah. Let us know like, yeah. when your first iteration gets published and yeah. all the scripts yeah. and everything. And yeah. we can link to it also on like, our website unless our, okay. our listeners yeah. know like, you know, if yeah. you want to get more information, how to contact you. Yes. Um, and so that yes. leads me to my next question. So how mm. if people have questions mm -hmm. I want to follow mm -hmm. up with you. You mm -hmm. mentioned... Mm -hmm. This Facebook page, is that mm -hmm. still active? Or what's oh, yeah. the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, I have a Facebook page that people just have to request to go see. It's called Deb Will Run Again, even though I won't be able to run. That was what they named it in the beginning, okay. so Deb Will Run Again. I post on it probably three or four times a month. After every one of my chemo infusions, I always post how I'm doing. All my medical stuff is in there, so there's a lot of medical jargon. So when yeah. I have a CAT scan, bone scan, and I explain it in terms the public can understand. At the end of our podcast, I love doing this new thing where we talk about our breakdowns and rebounds. I know like life is already so stressful and there's so much we're managing and, you know, there's little triggers that can be so unexpected that really just throw us over the edge, um, or at least for myself I can speak for. But most importantly, it's not about these breakdowns that we have, but more so about the rebounds and how we lift ourselves out of these like crazy situations that we find ourselves in. So this week my breakdown situation was 
you know, it's kind of interesting. I don't even know how to describe the scene. I was in my office and working on my computer, managing emails, taking phone calls, text messaging, DMs, all this great stuff. I was also preparing for some upcoming meet and greet events that we have taking place in survivingbreastcancer.org, travel arrangements, and then also gearing up for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, fundraising events, like there's just a lot going on. And all of a sudden, somebody walks in and like asks me the simplest question about you know, like photocopies or paper or something's wrong with the printer, et cetera. And in the midst of all of this, I start having the worst hot flash. And I'm not just talking about where your face feels a little red or you feel flush. I swear my entire body was like drenched in sweat all of a sudden. And so I became incredibly embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. I don't know if I should like look for a Kleenex and like dab off my forehead. I don't know if I should like play it cool and pretend like nothing is happening. But apparently this person, I assume, was pretty uncomfortable because I'm like sweating profusely because I'm having a hot flash and like bolts out of the room. So my meltdown moment was, oh my God, this is so uncomfortable and like just so uncomfortable. And I was talking to William about it and he was like, well, does the person know that you are managing breast cancer? You're going through treatments, you're on hormonal therapies, you are just going through a lot in addition to your day-to-day. Maybe if you told the person that you're managing breast cancer, it wouldn't be so awkward when you have these random hot flashes. So that was really good advice. Um, I did not take it. I did not tell the person I had breast cancer because I just didn't feel like this was the like best time to bring it up. I mean, that is kind of like a bomb you need to be prepared to drop on somebody, right? Like, oh, don't mind my hot flush. I'm just managing breast cancer. Um, yeah, it doesn't really roll off the tongue so easily. So my rebound moment was, okay, you're right. Like, go into the bathroom, splash some cold water on my face, and go about my day because you do want to have somewhat of a normal day. You don't need to be talking about breast cancer all the time, even though it is kind of my job. But it was so weird to be in the situation where I didn't want to talk about it. And while I'm very open about my experience, obviously we have breast cancer conversations, we have survivingbreastcancer.org. I talk about it all the time, but how do you bring it up in conversations when people don't know you have breast cancer? So I would love to hear your thoughts. Please shoot me an email at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org, or you can find me on Instagram under survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, shoot me a DM. Do you tell everybody that you have breast cancer or are there ever situations where you don't bring it up, especially when you are going through various side effects, right? I mean, you could be sitting at dinner with like your BFF and all of a sudden like needing to run to the bathroom. I guess if she was your BFF, she would know that you had breast cancer. But anyway, the point is, are you ever in situations where it's just not obvious that you're dealing with health issues and you find yourself super uncomfortable and you're not sure whether or not you should tell somebody honestly what you're going through. So that's my question for all of you. Please get in touch and let me know what you think. And we'll report back on tips and tricks for how to share you have breast cancer with others. I feel like that could be like a really deep and juicy conversation also. Um, Especially if you're like starting to date someone, like when do you let them know that you like underwent surgery or or might not be able to have kids because you went through all this chemo. Oh my gosh, this is definitely going on a tangent. But anyway, had a breakdown, totally rebounded, and here we are today. Deb, oh my gosh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. 
I loved our conversation. And in fact, when we are talking, I know that this is obviously going to turn into two episodes. So this first one, obviously, we're talking about getting to know you and your diagnosis and everything that you've been through in terms of your surgery and um, more surgeries, etc. But in your background also, you have several master's degrees. You focus on holistic nutrition, psychology, and healthcare. So we are definitely going to have another podcast where we take a deeper dive into nutrition and all of the tips and insights that you share um, based on your personal experience as well as your professional experience in the nutrition sector. So until next time, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. If this podcast was helpful, be sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a review so we know that you liked it. There are so many ways to join our community. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at survivingbreastcancer.org. Follow us on Instagram, survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, and on YouTube at bit.ly forward slash YouTube SBC, and on Twitter, SBC underscore ORG. If you have a topic idea or would like to be a guest on our show, please contact me at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. We love hearing from you. Please remember that the content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in our podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our workplaces. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Thanks. Until next time, talk to you then.